you're new here today, over the last several weeks, if you want to go ahead and turn to the book of Exodus chapter 20, uh, we've been diving into the Ten Commandments and really looking at to see how the Ten Commandments apply to us today in 2022. Uh, but before I go any further, I almost forgot something uh, that I will go back and say that uh, earlier we talked about if this is your first time here, then we have a, um, a mug for you. But we also want to say to you that if you uh, are here and this is your first time and you do not have a home church, then we want to say to you, Welcome home. Yeah, I love that. Thanks, guys. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at the very next commandment, commandment number seven, and it simply states this, Exodus 20, 14, you must not commit adultery. Now, my guess is that in one form or another, nearly everyone in this room has been either hurt or wounded or affected somehow by this commandment. Whether it's with your, you personally, whether it's your parents, maybe your siblings, maybe some friends that you've got that have been affected by this act of adultery, but many, many of us in here have. I know myself have, not personally, but my parents. My mom stepped out of my dad and so caused divorce, and so I was raised by my dad for the first couple of years of my life until he met my stepmother. But I think we can all agree to how absolutely devastating that this is. Kind of like a grenade, where there's immediate damage, but also collateral damage. And then there's the residual trauma that can show up years later. We're gonna dive into that a little bit later in the message, but I wanna take just a moment and step back and remind us about how important these guardrails are for our lives, how important these commandments are for our lives. Remember, the Ten Commandments weren't given as a condition of God's love and acceptance and approval. They were the evidence that God's love and God's people were already loved and accepted and approved of. There was already a relationship. And this is so different. This is so freeing from what we've generally thought and believed about the Ten Commandments. You see, we view relationships as always preceding the rules, and God begins a relationship with a person or a people or a nation, and then he says, let me show you how to live because I love you, and I want the best for you, and you're valuable to me. The nation of Israel, while in slavery in Egypt, put their trust in God with a simple act of faith. If you grew up in church and you heard the story of Moses and the plagues of Egypt, one included the death of the firstborn. As a matter of fact, it was the last of the plagues. Moses said to Pharaoh, release God's people or death is going to come and take the firstborn male of every household. And the only way to avoid this was putting blood of a sacrificed lamb on your doorpost. And when the death angel approached and saw the blood, he had to pass by that house. He had to pass over that house because death couldn't pass the blood of the lamb. The blood of the sacrificed lamb protected those who obeyed and trusted in God. And I wish I had time to preach this this morning because that's some good stuff right there. That was their act of faith and belief. And then Jesus Christ came and he said, no more will it be about the sacrifice and the blood of lambs because I am the lamb. I am the sacrifice. Jesus died on the cross. His blood was shed. And if we'll put our faith and trust in him, he covers our sin. 
And he sets us free to become his sons and daughters, adopted into his family. That's pretty incredible, right? And all throughout the rest of the New Testament, we can read how God wants us to respond to our enemies, how to build a marriage, how to handle money, how to raise kids. And there's a lot of ought to's and not not to's, but they're not the things that we have to do to get in with God. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you're in. There's not a bunch of ought to's and not not to's. Those instructions are given to his people, to us, not by behaving, but by believing. Remember, we can't behave our way into a relationship with Jesus. We, be, we believe our way into a relationship with Jesus. And the Ten Commandments are a part of this salvation story. It's a message of love and freedom. God spent most of his words expressing his heart in the first four commandments. This is where he tells us that he wants to be the center of our lives. Nothing before him. Nothing instead of him. Don't try to box him in or reduce him to be manageable. Don't use his name in vain. We learned that thou shalt not take the Lord God's name in vain. Don't use his name in vain for your own ends or your own agenda. Depend on him by having some time off and trusting that he's going to work everything out. Remember the Sabbath. Over and over, he tells us to build our lives on him. He doesn't want to be a component of our lives. He wants to be everything. And here's the thing. When we make God the center of our life, when we put our trust completely on him, when we look to him to be our provision and our supply, then the rest of the commandments about murder and adultery and stealing and coveting, all these, all these other commandments are pretty much taken care of. When you and I or even a nation decide that it's all about God and that when we make that decision that he's going to be first and foremost in our lives. The last half of the commandments bring about a shift for us, we've seen. And God takes those first four commandments and calls us to make him front and center. And now he's saying this, now, now everyone you come in contact with is valuable. Honor them and treat them right. And he starts, he begins, he sums it up in the commandments. Listen to this, Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Let me give you a summary. Jesus is commanding us. Love God, love others. Honor God, honor others. And he starts by saying, honor your father and your mother. The role and the position that they hold that brought you life. And then he commands us to honor life completely. Remember last week we talked about murder and not to let anger or bitterness to take root on the inside of us. We talked about this last week. The one we're looking at today is to honor your marriage. Honor your husband, honor your wife, and in turn, honor the home. Honor the family. Honor the incubator for life and community. Now, God could have easily put it in the positive by saying, honor your marriage. He does that in other scripture. But I think he wanted to make this direct, abrupt statement so that there would be no question, so that there would be no excuses, so that there would be no justifications. It's bold and it's powerful. Don't commit adultery. 
Now, I'm sure for newlyweds who hear this for the very first time are thinking, no problem. That'll never happen. I looked into their eyes on the wedding day and I made that commitment that's never going to happen because our optimism runs high when we take those first steps of marriage. So many hopes, so many dreams. I've done my share of weddings over the last 17 years that I've been in ministry, and I can't get over how much optimism there is on the day of the wedding. The bride and the groom, they invite a family member who thinks they can sing. They end up getting up and butchering a song, and it's horrible, but they don't care. It's family. It's the day of the wedding. Everything's beautiful. Everything's about forever. And then sometimes couples write their own vows to each other and they say them on that day and they're exchanging vows and it has a lot to do with forever and, and you are my everything kind of language in it. And everyone's crying because it's so tender and so sweet. Because I think every couple enters marriage fully expecting that their union is going to be one that's going to go the distance. I've never married a couple who admitted that they were just hoping to make it through a five-year deal and then split. I've never met a couple that does that. I've never married a couple who included into their vows, well, I hope this really works out. That would be pretty discouraging to the other partner, right? But you know the statistics of divorce as well as I do. How many receptions have you been to where they play Ed Sheeran's Perfect or John Legend singing, because all of me loves all of you? You can feel the optimism and the hope because beautiful romantic words and lyrics, how I love you with every breath. And those of you that have been married for a while say, no, I don't even want to think about her breath in the morning. <laughs> I mean, when I married him, he had a V-shaped body, but now the V is like upside down. <laughs> it doesn't quite look the same. So what does God really want for our marriages? He has more for us than just don't commit adultery. He has life and he has growth and he has maturity and he has friendship and he has affection and he has pleasure and he has true oneness spiritually, emotionally, and physically. How does God best sometimes when we think about it, we're making those vows to each other and we're looking each other in the eye and we're getting married on that day and, we've, and we're truly in the moment we're believing this is God's best for me. You are God's best for me. How does God's best sometimes get sidelined just because of time? How do we affair-proof our marriage? What can I do? What can we do? Well, let me clarify a few things first. For some of you here today, this is a very traumatic area. And I want to acknowledge that I recognize it's hard. It's going to be hard to hear some of this. When I talk today about loving your spouse and giving and caring and affection, it just spikes all kinds of emotions. And I, I'm aware of that. And I know that. And I realize that. Because some of us in here, some of, some of you have failed in this area. And some of you have been on the other side of that and you've been deeply hurt. You've been deeply wounded. And for that, I want to say that I'm sorry. I'm going to address that at the end, but I will tell you this. Hold on to God. Hold on to God. Cling to him through this. So if you're taking notes, if you have your note-taking sheet or if you're taking notes on your app, write this down for number one. I will commit to God's best. I will commit to God's best. It starts with a willingness to follow God's commands and his desires. 
Right now, the ball is in your court, and you've got to decide, Lord, from here on out, I'm going to, I'm going to live according to your standard. In my marriage, I'm going to live according to your standard. And then the next step is to examine your attitude towards your marriage. Examine your attitude towards your spouse, your attitude towards the topic of adultery. Hebrews 13.4 says this, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Ask yourself, do I honor my marriage? Do I honor my spouse? God has something good in store for you when it comes to your marriage. And I know some of you, it's hard, it's hard for you to believe that, but it's true. But only if you will both commit to God's best in your marriage for each other. It takes both. And I, I, trust me, I know I've counseled hundreds of couples over the, over the 17 years when only one of, the pe- one of the persons wants it to work. And I know that's tough and I know that's difficult. But seeing, sometimes seeing a counselor helps and maybe, connect, maybe connecting with Rich and, and Deanna Millentree at our Turlock campus. They have a, a podcast and lots of resources and books that they've written uh, called Growing in Marriage. Maybe reaching out to them, maybe seeing Marilyn, our, our, our counselor that's here on staff on Thursdays uh, from 9 to 12. She stays busy all the time, and she is here. She is available for us and our, and our faith family. Maybe reaching out to her will help as well to, so that we can process through some of these things that's taken root inside of our marriage. Believe me, it will make a difference, but it can't happen without a mutual commitment. It's putting into practice what the Apostle Paul wrote. He says this, for wives to respect their husbands and husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. This means both are working at it. Both are working at it. You're making a conscious effort to put love and honor and respect into practice. Anytime that I counsel a couple that comes in to my office, always the very first thing I do is I look at, I look at the wife and say, do you want this to work? Yes. I look at the husband, do you want this to work? Yes. Then it will work. You both want it to work. Is Christ the center of your marriage? Yes. Then it's going to work. It's going to be tough, but it can't work. It can work. Proverbs chapter five says this, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. All too often we wait until issues in our marriage are so far gone that we believe and we think and we've convinced ourselves that it's impossible to return to the way it is, the way it was. We think it's too far gone. Let me ask you this. What if you woke up tomorrow morning and you had a little bit of a dull ache in your elbow? You thought, oh man, that's, that hurts. Uh, it's a little sore. Maybe I just slept on it wrong. It's not too big of a deal. I'm not going to worry about it right now. And then a week goes by and it's excruciating. I mean, it's really hurting you. It's starting to swell up and you don't know what's going on. And you're popping ibuprofen just to kind of, you know, get it out of your mind. And then another week later goes by and you can't even move it. Your fingers won't move and you're really concerned about it. When in that process will you go to the doctor? I can guarantee before it gets to the point where you can't even move and you're just not sleeping. Our marriages sometimes get wounded. Our marriages sometimes start hurting. There's ongoing pain. 
But more often than not, we ignore it and we start blaming each other. Nothing's my fault. It's all her fault. It's all his fault. And then we begin to turn on each other and spend time away from each other and start building our own lives apart, separate from one another. And we don't even think about getting any help until we're so far gone that we think that divorce is the only option. And the more we walk along, and the more we try to escape home, the more we try to escape our spouse, the more we become vulnerable to adultery. Let me ask you this. When you're looking at your options and you're having issues in your marriage, you're having issues with your spouse, and you begin to kind of list some of the things that you can do to make it better, is one of those options an affair? Is one of those options adultery? Of course not. We don't write that down. Can you think of any experience or circumstance where we we would say yes? Well, until we accept what God says for the standard of our life, we're going to be defenseless. Stop rationalizing it and saying there's no, it's, it's, it, you have to convince yourself and say to yourself, no way, I don't care what happens, no matter what happens, this is not an option for me. An affair is not an option. And if you're struggling, If your marriage is struggling this morning, take the steps that you need to now. Don't wait for some magic moment. Do something this week. Verbalize to your spouse the the, the commitment to God's best. Verbalize to your spouse the same vows that you made years ago. Speak those forever words regularly. I'm never going to walk away from you. When I said I do, I meant it. Count me in for building a strong and healthy marriage with you. But again, it takes two. So write this down for number two. I will mind my mind. I will mind my mind. And this is hard. Let me ask you, if we were to project on this screen all of the thoughts that you had this week, how many of you would be uncomfortable? How many of you would be a little, I'm telling you right now, I'm your pastor. I don't want my thoughts up there. We would be a little uncomfortable, a little embarrassed. Have you ever been praying, maybe in your car, maybe at church, maybe with your kids, or you're sitting in church listening to a message like this on a Sunday morning, and then some random thought, some off-the-wall thought comes to your mind, and you think, whoa, I'm supposed to be a follower of Jesus. I'm supposed to be a Christian. Where did that thought come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from Satan, because he's the tempter. He's tempting us to give up God's best for a lie. And every single one of us is tempted. Temptation is not prejudice. There's a classic line that says this, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Temptations come. You cannot stop them. But it's how we respond to to the temptations that God is watching. Paul gives us an incredible solution to facing temptations that we experience every day. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Follow anything that makes you want to do right. Pursue faith and love and peace and enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Do you know what the Greek word for run is? Run. You think, Jeremy, you went to school for six years for that? Yeah. That's the Greek word for run, is run. Don't play with this. Don't see how close you can get and still be safe. That's not a line that you want to walk on. Don't tell yourself, ah, it's no big deal. It's okay. It's innocent. 
Because in the area of adultery and infidelity, if there are ever situations in your life where you find yourself thinking it's no big deal, then big red flags and fireworks should be going off in your spirit like crazy. (coughs) Excuse me. Because here's the truth. I don't trust my own rationalizations. I don't trust me to be honest with me. If you find yourself saying it's no big deal, then I want to challenge you to find someone who's going to speak some truth into your lives, going to speak some truth into your marriage, no matter what. Someone following God, and you can see the results of a Christ-centered marriage in their life. And then ask them, is this a big deal? And if you find yourself kind of leaving out details or kind of changing up the story a little bit, ask yourself why. My guess is it is a big deal. Mind your mind. It all starts up here in your thoughts, in your head. And it's what Jesus was telling us about lust in in Matthew chapter 5 when he says this, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Listen, we all know that affairs don't just happen. Nobody just walks and trips and boom, affair. I didn't even see that one coming. I wasn't planning on it. I wasn't looking for it. Can I just say that that's a lie? Now, you may not have been looking for it, but it didn't just happen because inside of your mind, inside of your imagination, that affair happened a hundred times before your body ever did. So keep a close watch on what you see. Keep a close watch on what you're thinking. Lust begins in my mind and then leads me to act on it. By the way, lust and desire, it's not just a man's issue. We know that. We know that this is a woman's issue as well. We know how rampant pornography is and the damage that it does to the heart and to the soul and to relationships and to marriages and to covenants. But lust and unchecked desire are a people issue, not just a man's issue. It just gets played out in different ways. Most affairs that begin online or in the workplace start with conversations. They start with connections, conversations and connections that aren't happening at home. And so they begin happening somewhere else. A text message, a look, a word, a touch. Men might lust physically, but they also lust after being respected. Men lust after being sought after. Women might lust physically, but they also lust after relationship and conversations and affection. Women crave to be, to feel special. Here's where the lie takes a hold of us, and we're going to really dive into that next weekend when we talk about lying and stealing. But we play those conversations. We play those looks. We play those interactions over and over in our mind, but we really don't get to see the reality of that other person. At work and online, you see them at their best. And that's not the real them. And then we base a decision that could be catastrophic to our life because of a, because of a thought on something that's not even real, on non-reality. The slippery slope starts so innocently but becomes fatal so quickly. So mind your mind. If you're married, pursue your spouse. There's things that we can avoid. Social media, don't look up old boyfriends. Don't look up old girlfriends. Don't bring anyone else into your marriage physically or even mentally. 
I've counseled couples who thought it was a great idea to incorporate pornography into their marriage to kind of spice things up. And then you see months later, their marriage either ending or, or is in serious trouble. Something else we can do, we can magnify the consequence of an affair. We can magnify the consequence of a, of a divorce or even flirting. You see, we have the, the propensity to minimize it. And God is saying, no, maximize it. Think about the consequences. Think about everyone that's going to be affected. Don't write it off. Don't say no big deal. Don't minimize, but maximize the impact and the devastation. This can kind of help keep things in perspective. What would this do to my relationship with my children? What would this do to my relationship with Jesus? Another thing we can do, we can monitor what we watch. If you're serious about your marriage, there's some things on TV or the radio or movies that we just can't participate in anymore. Garbage in is garbage out. We know that. What you put in your mind is going to come out in your actions. Know the limitations of what can be a stumbling block between you and your spouse. Psalm 101.3 says this, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all crooked dealings. I will have nothing to do with them. We all know that probably since the 70s and maybe even before that we live in a very sexually saturated society. We're being bombarded every day. We can't completely avoid it, but we can't put a filter in our lives. We can't put a filter on our mind. Don't intentionally look at that kinds of stuff. Bounce your eyes, mind your mind, train your thinking. As Paul wrote, Philippians 8, we read this last week. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. That brings us to our last villain for the weekend is this. I will embrace God's grace and healing. I will embrace God's grace and healing. Let me tell you a little story about myself. <clears throat> Probably 27, maybe close to 30 years ago, uh, I was in sales. And um, I worked for a, a book and magazine company, one of the top salesmen of this company. I had all of Middle Tennessee was my area, was my route. One of the things I detested about this job was that 40% of my income was from adult content. I hated it. This was before the internet. You couldn't just pull, pull images up on your phone. 40%, nearly half of my income was generated from adult content, pornography. That really bothered me. That really bothered me that I was bringing my checks home and putting food on my table and paying my, my mortgage and putting clothes on the back of my family based on other people's addictions. And then one day I found myself as strong as a Christian that I believed that I was being tempted to take a peek myself. Some, some, most of the magazines at that time, if you, wanted to, if you wanted to see anything, adult content, you had to go to the store, actually dig through the, the magazines and pay for them. They all had covers on it. But every now and then we would get magazines that where the cover was already removed or the glue came loose and they came falling out or whatever. And I found myself tempted to look inside of a lot of these magazines. And then the temptation was too strong. And one day I began kind of skimming through there. I'm like, I'm a 20, 23, 24 year old man. And 
you know, I've not been married a couple of years, but man, this temptation is really strong. And that, that went by, that, that, that went for, for a few months. And finally, man, the conviction of the Holy Spirit was so strong on me. I finally just said, I can't do this anymore. I confessed to my wife and said, hey, look, you know, you know that nearly half of the income that I bring in is because of this adult content. And I've been looking through some of this stuff and I'm really sorry. I just want to confess to you and repent to you and say, I'm sorry. Of course, Janet being Janet forgave me, of course. And I just said, I'm quitting this job. I can't do it anymore. I don't want the temptation around me. I can't stand the fact that nearly half of my income is based on other people's addictions. I can't do this anymore. And I end up quitting that job. And that began the healing process of me. That began the healing process between my wife and I, of me confessing that. And I look at my life and I look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul knew that he had failed and sinned repeatedly. There was wasn't any hope for him just trying to fix himself because if you're here this morning and you battle an addiction let me just say you cannot get through this alone you need your spouse you need others around you he needed jesus to do a healing and restoring work in him i know this is a heavy subject this morning guys but this is how we grow this is how we grow together by diving into some of this heavy stuff because god wants the best for us this is a guardrail for us, this commandment. First Timothy says this, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. This is the apostle Paul saying this, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. The Apostle Paul owned his past. He owned where he was wrong, but found God's love and grace and patience. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. I love this verse. It's from the message translation that says, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Don't try to go through this life by yourself thinking, I can do it. I don't need anyone. Regardless of all the TikToks and Instagrams out there that try to get you to believe in yourself and look in the mirror and say, I can do this, those are great. But when we leave God out of it, we're going to fall flat, according to the Apostle Paul, because it's not our self confidence, it's God confidence. Let me just say this as I close. For those of you who have walked in the area of adultery, I want to say to you, you can be forgiven. Maybe you've walked in it and God's already forgiven you. That's great. God is a gracious God. He's the God of the second chance. And I love this, that he's the God of the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance and all these chances. People may not give you a second chance, but God does. There'll be a lot of collateral damage, maybe. But I've watched God restore relationships. I've seen it myself. If you're in a relationship right now, you think it's too far gone. If both of you want it to work, find someone. Find Rich at the Turlock campus. Find Marilyn here on Thursdays. Come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Tito. If you want it to work, it's going to be hard. 
but God can restore your marriage. Go ahead and take your elements. I'm going to do communion right now before we pray. And I also want to say to you that from the message this morning, if something kind of pricked your heart and you say, you know what, I'd really love someone to pray with me, Pastor Jeremy. I'm going to be available right over here at, right at the end of service where it says prayer. I'm going to be standing over there. So if you're a couple and you would like prayer, if you're a guy and you want prayer, something maybe that I said that, that you thought, you know what, I really need someone to pray with me in this area, I'll be available after service right over there. Go ahead and take your wafer. This is the first Sunday of the month. We always do communion the first Sunday of the month. Talking about restoration. Talk about redemption. Talk about justification. All those words that start here is the greatest symbol of all that. What Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago on the cross. We remember that the first Sunday of the month by taking communion of the elements, the sacraments. Father, we hold this wafer in our hand this morning. Symbolizes your broken body for our sin. Lord, we realize that that what you did for us, Lord, was uh, both voluntarily and something you had to do to bring us back into our right relationship with the Father. When you said, I am the lamb, I am the sacrifice, Lord, this is what you meant by allowing your body to be broken for our sin. And we accept that, Lord. We accept that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat. Jesus, we hold in our hand this juice that symbolizes your blood that spilled for all of our sin, past, present, and future. It took the perfect love, the perfect blood of the perfect lamb to wash our sins for eternity. We accept the fact, Lord, that if we receive you in our lives, that we're accepting that your blood covers all of our sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink. Now, Father, we praise you. Thank you for everyone that's here. Lord, I bless uh, everyone that's here this morning. I bless uh, their marriages. I bless their children. I bless their health. Lord, I bless their finances and their homes, their jobs. Lord, as we go our separate ways this, uh, this afternoon, Father, I pray, God, that you'll protect us, watch over us, keep us safe, Lord, bring us back next week, Lord, ready to serve you once again together as a faith family. Thank you, Lord, for these guardrails. Thank you for your commandments. Thank you, Lord, for loving us first and then giving us these commandments because you want to protect us and keep us, keep us together, Lord, as your sheep, as your, as your children, Lord, to keep us safe from the enemy, to give us this, these directions for how to live our life, Lord. We accept them, Lord. We don't reject them, but we accept them, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here this morning. Don't forget, if this is your first time here, don't, for, don't leave without getting a gift. Also, if you want to get an OCC Christmas shoe box, grab one of those. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of great things happening here at New Life. We want you to keep coming back. Take your uh, paper home. It's got everything that's happening over the next couple of weeks here at the campus. And also, if you'd like prayer, 
I'm going to be over here in our prayer area. You can join me over there. God bless you guys. Have a great week.